Welcome. I'm Pastor Daniel, um, and I am excited to be with you guys tonight. And we get to share a little something I saw this week. It was an observation, or a promise, an observation, and an application. And so it's just real simple. We're going to spend most of our time camping out in this application. But I, I saw <clears throat> this promise that left me with an observation that was just pondering. And I, I feel like just kind of understanding where it comes from will help you guys tonight. So the, the promise. And this isn't going to be news to a lot of you, but if, if you're new to church, there is a promise in the Bible that Jesus is coming back. The same Jesus that came to earth, who died for our sins and rose again, promised to return. In fact, in John 14, verse 3, he's talking to his disciples and he says, you know, hey, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. I'm like, this is cool. So, so God makes this promise that he's going to return. And then I looked and I was like, well, is this the only spot? And it comes up a few times that Jesus says it. And then in Acts, just as he's, he goes up into heaven and his disciples are going, what just happened? D did you see? And I don't know, when it says that he ascended into heaven, I'm not exactly sure what that looked like, though I would love to know. Was this like, hey, I'm just talking to you and I floated up like I drank too much helium? Is this like up, up and away like a Superman? Hey guys, you know, Go to Jerusalem. This is what I want you to do. Farewell. Pfft. Like, I, I don't know. Is it like, hey, angels picked him up, but he just was, I don't know, but I would love to see it. But he's there. It says that he, he ascends up to heaven and the disciples are like, what just happened? And then in, uh, where am I at here in my notes? 111 says, men of <clears throat> these angels show up and go, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So <clears throat> apparently it's not going to be immediate, so don't stand here staring the whole time, but he's coming back. He's going to descend from up above. And you're like, okay, so this, is, this, is, this promise is repeated. And if you go into 1 Thessalonians, I mean, you're going to see it again. And it, and it talks about, it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So comfort each other, or comfort and encourage each other with these words. And so I, I looked and I just see this promise all over the place. And the promise is so good that he's going to come back. And if you go to the end of the book, you go to Revelation 21, and you, you get to that when he comes back and like when he sets all things right, that he's going to be with man and man's going to be with him. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be no more sickness, sorrow, pain, death for the old things have passed away. And it's going to be amazing. And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, these are awesome promises. Are you ready for my observation? Okay, this, this is deep. Jesus has not returned yet. Okay, so this is like my, 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 my moment as I begin to look and I'm like, okay, so there's this promise that you're coming back. And I see this promise repeated over and over and over and over and over throughout the New Testament. But, okay, it's been like 2,000 years. 
Okay, I know he sees time differently, but that's a little while. Like, right? Anyone agree that 2,000 years is like a long time? Um, but if not, loan me money for 2,000 years. Okay, so the, the, as I looked at this, I'm like, okay, why hasn't he come back yet? I, mean, I remember being a kid and hearing from my dad that Jesus is coming and he's coming back and hearing about the rapture and being like, this is amazing. Hopefully he'll come back before I have to pay taxes. That didn't work. Um, but, but like there was this thing where like I just, I thought, I'm like, well, so why, why hasn't he come back yet? And the Bible actually answers this, this, <clears throat> this question because they were already asking it before they'd finished writing the Bible. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter writes this. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He goes through and says, the reason that God hasn't come back isn't because he's asleep. It's not because he's busy twiddling his thumbs. It's not because he's just too busy. It goes, no, he gave us a job to do, and it's not done yet. He loves people enough. And I just look and go, how many people have gotten saved this year? We've seen so many people, and he goes, I don't want to miss them. I love them. And so I've been waiting. I have been waiting for them. And as I begin to look at this, it's okay, so... So he hasn't come back yet because he's waiting. And then here comes an application. See, because there's a job to be done that isn't finished. We have a role to play. And if you're taking notes, you can just write down, I have a role to play. I have a role. I have a job. Now is my time. See, as I begin to look at this, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus sends out his disciples. It was like his last move. And he goes, you will be my witnesses. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He goes through and goes, I am commissioning you. I am sending you out. Start here and then work your way out. In Matthew 28, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Mark, he says, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. <clears throat> they will cast out demons and it ends with, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover So I was looking at this and going, if this is what Jesus commissioned us, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this not happened on a greater level? And I I came to a conclusion, and and this was my conclusion, that most people think this is what somebody should do, but they think it's what somebody else should do. And there is this this mindset of, yes, you sent the disciples 12 important people that spent three years with you were trained up and you sent them out and by golly, that's awesome. And then since then, there's been pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and they're going to go out and carry out the mission. But 
in this, he gave a description of who he was talking about. I don't know if you caught it or not, but in verse 17 of, of Mark chapter 16, it says, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. In, <clears throat> in John 14, 12, it says, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And I begin to read that and realize I have a job to do. You have a job to do. And we can't say, well, it's for Pastor Dwayne. It's for this other person. It's for somebody whose, whose job is ministry. No, he commissioned all of us. And this is our job. This is our role. And now is our time. And I, I begin to look and realize the importance of right now. Jesus lays out this parable and he, he explains it. He's, he's, he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like and, and what it's going to be like when God returns. In, in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 24, or 25, where am I going to go in here? Uh, 24. He separates the sheep and the goats. Jesus says that the king is going to come and he's going to separate them out. And, and, and he gives two parables, one in 24 and one in 25. And he goes through and he separates out those who are right with God and those who aren't. And when they get to the end of this, those who weren't right with God, after he returned, said, oh, but didn't I this? And they asked to be let in. They go, God, will you not? But this is how it, how it answers. It, the Bible tells us that once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you'll begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And he lays out this principle. You have a lifetime to get right with God. But when your lifetime is over, the game is over and the score is final. And you don't know how long your lifetime will be. And he, and, he, and he goes through, and I begin to look at this and realize you only have so long. I don't, anyone like to play games? Okay, I like to play games, and I may be competitive. Um, so the people laughing are the ones that know me. I really, uh, I am very competitive, and I have to work sometimes to keep my competitive nature in check. And it's a game, we're going to end and we're still going to love people, but it's a game and we are going to try to win because that is the objective of the game. So I, I remember playing a game, and I think it was Settlers of Catan, and for those who, who know the game, love the game, but the obje object of this game is to be the first one to get 10 points. But in order to win, you have to, it has to be your turn. And if you miss something and you happen to have 11 points, you can't win until it's your turn. Frustrating thing. Because I remember one time going and we're playing with people and like I finished my turn and you go to the next person and then you look down and you're counting all your stuff and you're like, I have 10 points. I, I kind of win. Like I'm the first one at 10 points, but I can't win unless it's my turn. And then they win. You're like, no, I was there. I had everything that I needed. I just needed to pay more attention to what I had. We have everything that we need. He's given it 
he paid it. But we have this life to respond to him. We have, while we're in a physical body before he comes back, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And, and there's, there's a bunch that we could go into in the theology of how that works, but the, the thing to remember is that I have this lifetime and my friends have only this lifetime and my neighbors have only this lifetime. And I begin to look at this and go, well, well I only have so much time and I have a job to do. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, we we're, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God made us on purpose. God gave us a job to do. And he said, I made you for this and I'm sending you out. Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. In Ephesians, it says, in 4 verse 11, it says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I began to look at this going, that means the people that we often think it's all supposed to rely on, their job is to equip the rest of us. And we go through going, but, but they get paid to do this. Isn't that what they're supposed to do? It's going, no, no, no. And I begin to look at this and I begin to process and I'm like, I could have lots of fun with this. But I, I figured if I was to take a survey in this room, Almost all of you would agree that there are lost people that need to know about Jesus. Like, this is pretty simple. Like, yep, there are, there are lost people. In fact, if I was to ask and give you a minute, I bet most of you could list one of them. And you're like, yeah, my cousin, uncle, brother, neighbor, friend, coworker, um, person that annoys me who lives across the street, whatever. Like, there's somebody that you're like, all right, this person needs to know Jesus. But most of us are waiting for somebody else to reach that person. And we're going, yeah, yeah, they need Jesus. Yeah, yeah, someone needs Jesus. They need Jesus. Somebody else should do it. And as I was pondering this predicament, I realized it's an old predicament. Moses <clears throat> was in a very similar boat. And if you don't know the story of Moses, I'm going to give you the details you need for tonight. Moses was an Israelite at a time when the Israelites were enslaved. And at about uh, 40 years old, he decides <clears throat> that some of this is wrong, it shouldn't be happening. And he tries to help somebody out and ends up getting in a fight with one of the slave drivers and kills him. Hides the body, thinks this is all right, that the Israelites are going to discover that I'm here to help them. The next day, some Israelites were fighting, and he's like, guys, don't fight amongst yourselves. And they're like, what, you're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? Word gets out, and he's like, okay, I tried to save the people. This isn't working. I'm going to die. I'm going to run. So he runs away. And when he runs away, <clears throat> he ends up watching sheep on the backside of a desert for like 40 years. So he's now an old dude. And sorry if you're 80. It's, it's only a little bit. But for, for getting your first calling, it just seems like a late start. But he's there and he's watching some sheep and this bush lights on fire. He walks up to the bush and he's like, look, it's burning. Because that's what boys do. When things, when things are burning, they walk up and they're like, fire. And so he, he walks up to the fire. He sees it and he's like, it's burning, but the bush isn't burning up. And <clears throat> that's weird. And so he's, he's looking and he's watching and then it starts talking, which is like, it, it shocked him. And he steps back and then the bush tells him to take off his shoes his holy ground, and God starts speaking to him from the bush. And so he is 
blown away. He walks up and as God speaks to him, God says this. Um, He says, now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And at this point, I, I am just imagining what's going through Moses' head. And I just, internally, I just picture Moses going, it's about time. <clears throat> like I tried to deliver them 40 years ago. Like this has been going on for so long. Like, yeah, you got to deliver them. Send somebody, like deliver them. And then God's next reverse is, um, he goes through and says, Come, I will send you. And that was not the response that Moses was looking for. In fact, he goes, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? And I think that that's like a super common response. We're like, God, God, I am praying that you would reach my cousin. I'm praying that you would reach my neighbor. God, I am praying for that ornery person that sits down the desk for me who uses foul language. And like, I am praying for, and you've got like this list of people that you want to reach. And we're like, God, send somebody. And God goes, great idea. I send you. Like, I really meant somebody else. And we're like, we, we, there's that, that else that we just think is so important that we want to stick in there going, God, just use someone else. And God goes, I just want to use you. Will you let me use you? See, I created you for good works, which I prepared for in advance. I designed you for the call. I positioned you in that spot. I have talked to people who said, you know what? I feel called to ministry. I'm like, that's awesome. And you start talking to them. And I'm like, what are you doing now? Well, nothing. Someday I'll be in ministry and then I will minister. Like, well, that's not how it works. They're like, sure it is. Like, no. Like, you can serve somewhere now. What are you doing at your workplace? What are you doing elsewhere? And I have a friend who, who <clears throat> he was doing some things. He wasn't doing nothing. He, he was involved and he was serving here at church. And, but he was, we, were, we were talking about it and his, we'll just say, his job needed some Jesus. And I was talking to him and he was kind of resenting the atmosphere that he was working in. And I had made a comment. I said, what a mission field. And he just kind of looked at me funny. And he's like, huh. He shifted his mind from I am the like on the defense inside of a really wicked place to I am the hands and the feet of Jesus and I'm going to be a light in this place. Over the next year, it was incredible hearing story after story of people being healed, people coming to church, people seeing a light, people asking questions about his faith because he just shifted his approach from I will survive this place to I'll be the light in this place because God has called me and he's going to use me. And I, I was looking at this going, I think the reason that so many of us struggle 
is because we have taken ministry and we've put it in a box. And we said, ministry is what happens from the stage of church. Ministry is what happens if you can sing really good or play an instrument. And I can't do either of those, but at least I can talk. And, uh, and some people go, yeah, but I can't sing, I can't play. And please do not hand me a microphone. I'm terrified. I was talking to somebody this last week who likes to do risky things. Like just likes dangerous activities. And they're commenting, they're going, but don't ever make me preach. I'm like, you have an amazing story to share. Don't give me a microphone. But when we reduce it and go, ministry is what happens from the stage, then we devalue the gifts that God's put in you. And we devalue the places that God sent you. Do you realize that you have opportunities into people's lives that I don't? That you have a, a voice that can speak into your home that may never hear me, see me, or see Pastor Dwayne? They might never get to hear Pastor David leave worship, but they may see you. And it's this amazing thing that he calls us to be a light. See, Jesus defined this a little bit differently. There's a story that, that's, I don't know, I, I like this. Jesus shows up and there's this guy who's just filled with demons. And this guy's got serious issues. And long story short, he encounters Jesus and he receives freedom. And after he gets delivered, people are freaking out and they're like, this is crazy. You were like, everyone knew him as the demon guy. Like it was just like, that was his reputation. He was crazy. And, but when he's, he's healed, he's like, all right, Jesus, I've been set free. I am ready. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be one of your disciples. I am going to do what you do, go where you go. And I'm like, he is going to do ministry what he thought. But Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to do ministry, but not the way you think. And he comes to Jesus. And he's like, all right, I want to follow you. In Mark 5, 19, Jesus did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began, began to proclaim in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. And it's this crazy thing of, he was like, I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to follow you. Jesus is like, no, you're going to do ministry. Go home and be a light in your home. Be a light among your neighbors. Be a light. And it just is this shift. And I go, well, what, what does that look like? I remember in college and I use college because when I worked in college, the people I worked with didn't know Jesus. Working here at church, hopefully they've already met Jesus. So it's a little bit different as I don't get to be the, uh, lead them to Jesus, but we still get to minister to each other here. But in, in college, I was telemarketing and the people that I worked with uh, would just say they, they needed some Jesus. And so I remember sitting there and, and we've just got like this you of of large desk with lots of phones and everyone would talk while you're calling because there's a lot of ringing and answering machines when you're telemarketing. And if you're a telemarketer, I'm sorry. Okay, but 
Anyhow, while, while doing this and like in between getting cussed out and occasionally making a sale, you're, you're going through and you're just talking to each other. And so it's like, you know, you're dialing this number. Hey, so what'd you do this week? And they're like going around the, the circle, just comparing stories. And, and they're all like, man, I don't even remember what I did. I got so drunk. I don't know what I did. It must've been a good time. And I'm like, really? That doesn't make sense. What do you remember? Oh, I woke up puking. You're like, that's weird. Anyways, but they're going through and they're comparing their like their party stories of what they did. And then they get to me and they're like, so what did you do this weekend? I'm like, it was amazing. They're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. Like, what happened? I'm like, I went to church and this is what God did. And, it, and they're like, oh, what? And like pretty soon, like they, they figured out that every week they've got different who got drunk stories. And then I've got, I went to church and God moved stories. And they're like, I don't know if I want to ask you that question. But, but it was crazy because they, they, they Oh, they actually mocked me for a little bit and gave me a hard time because I didn't participate in the things that they participated in until things went wrong for them. And so they'd sit here and they're like, what, no alcohol? And they'd make these different jokes. And then a while later, they're like, you know what? Hey, uh, like when you go to church, could you like pray for me? I'm like, I can pray for you now. What, it can? Yeah. Like, hey, this is going on. And I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I'm like, all right, let's pray. And it was this crazy thing that the very people who mocked me later came to me and were like, there's something different. And even when he mocked you, you didn't cuss us out. You didn't respond in kind. You responded kind. I saw something. There was something different. See, uh, being the hands and the feet of Jesus doesn't need to look like being on a stage. He said, they'll know you by the way you love one another. Bringing his love and sharing his good news, telling people what God has done in your life is what we all are called to do. I was just talking to a missionary and oftentimes, when I think of a missionary, again, I think of somebody who gets on a big stage and is going to preach or teach just in another country. But I was talking to this missionary who's reached a lot of people. And I said, what'd you do? He's like, oh, we went over there and we were intentional about relationships. And we lived like we loved Jesus. And we told people about what Jesus did in their life. And we invited people over to be a part of it. And when they did, and, and he did simple things. Like, oh, we're going to get some people together and be intentional and we'll have a book reading. And I'll strategically choose a book that might uh, bring up topics that we can talk about, about Jesus. And he just went through simple things, not like, I'm going to stand on the stage and preach this long sermon. It was like, I'm going to connect with somebody and tell them about what God's done in my life. And then I'm going to invite them to know the Jesus that changed me. And he, and he made it so simple. And this is a reminder that we can do that. That we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Or actually, we'll go 5, verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it, its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You are the light of the world, the city on a hill. He goes, you are the salt, you are the light. Are you adding flavor? Are you lighting anything up? And I just begin to, to, begin to look at this 
And then he goes, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And he gives them some qualifiers. He goes, they should see that there's something different and not just go, oh, that was nice, but they should be able to see and go, that's because you love Jesus. And so I begin to ponder this. I'm like, all right, if I am going to be salt, if I am going to be light, what's the most important place that I'm salt and light? My family. I love you. But the, if, if I got to pick one person to take with me to heaven, if I got to choose one group to take with me to heaven, I'd probably try to start with the biggest group I could find. But if, if I'm going to have an impact above all else, I want to impact my family. And I just begin to look and go, okay, if I'm supposed to be the salt and the light, if I'm up here and I preach a great message and you guys love it and some of you guys are impacted, but my kids go to hell, I failed. So if, if I want more than anything for my family, for my kids to know my Jesus, then what salt and light am I being at home? What am I modeling? Am I showing them something? And, and my heart goes out to you if, if you've got kids who, who don't love Jesus, praying for their hearts to be softened and to come back to the Lord. But if your kids are still little, now is the time. If your kids are still at home, or if they're back home, because that's the thing to do these days, is to go to college and then come back home, because they, kids are starting to figure out that rent is cheaper at home, and the magic box refills. It's called the fridge, and it fills up with food. It's amazing. Um, but, I, sorry, that was just, I just love that. When I went to college, I just discovered so much because I went and the fridge did not fill itself. Like mom didn't buy it. Like everything. Like there were some things I knew I had to buy, but the little things you forget about. It's like, yeah, I had to buy the meat to make burgers, but ketchup didn't grow in the refrigerator. I had to go buy it too. There was, thing, there was just things I took for granted. Thank you, mom. But anyways, the, the point is that at my home, with my kids while they are there, they are going to give me opportunities to respond with love and patience or something else. And I get to decide, are they going to see Jesus in me? Hey, you know what? When I blow it, am I going to be proud and try to sweep it under the rug? Or am I going to walk with humility and let them see repentance and change? And I go through going, all right, well, who else do I have the best opportunity to reach? Who are you close to? Because some of you guys may have kids in the house, and you're like, you know, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Regardless of whether or not you have kids, you share the planet with other people. And it might be that you bump into your neighbors regularly. It might be that you all hide from each other and use your garage door to keep everybody away, but that you see people at work. Or maybe it's the fact that you go to the same coffee shop every day. Do you know that you can have opportunities in the store. And some people think that the only opportunities to share the gospel come when you're on stage, but they can come when you're in Costco. I, okay, in all fairness, I am an extrovert. I will admit this. But I've had people chase me down the aisles of Costco who've never come into the building of Res to get prayer. Because I made the effort to show them God's love every time I showed up. 
And they make it really easy at most stores. They wear these name tags. And I can value you by just going like this. Oh, look, your name is Peach. Oh, look, your name is, and just calling out your name and going, hey, hey, Peach, so good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here. And you just go through and you just say something by their name. And you do that a few hundred times. And they're going, hey, they value me. Hey, they look for me at checkout. And they ask how my week was going every time. And I remember just checking on them. And normally you just get, oh, all things are good. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Be blessed. And then I don't even think I, she wasn't even in a checkout, but one of the girls that worked there came and chased my wife and I down while we were walking through the store because we'd asked how she was so many times, checked on her and offered to pray for her that when someone had passed away in her circle of influence, she was broken, she was hurting, and she, hey, could, could, could you pray for me? This just happened and I don't know what to do. And doors just opened up because we were ready to, to love somebody where they were. See, we all have opportunities, but oftentimes we let them pass by and we go, well, but, but I just don't know what I would say. I just don't know what I would do. I just don't feel like I'm enough. And this is, I want to bring back, back up Moses because Moses looked at God and said, who am I that I should go? And God's response was beautiful because God didn't look at him and go, Moses, you're more than what you think. Moses, you have gifts and talents that you don't even realize are in you. You don't even realize the schooling that you had and the preparation that was preparing you for the calling that you have because God could have done that. But God's answer was, I'll be with you. He goes, yeah, but I don't this very well. I'll be with you. But my, I don't talk very good. I made your mouth. And, like, and, and he goes through this and I begin to look and go, but, but sometimes I don't feel like I'm enough. Colossians 1.29 says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He goes, I'll be with you and you can struggle with my strength. I'll equip you. If you'll turn to me, I'll be your more than enough. He says, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. God goes, where you're not strong enough, I am. And if you'll lean on me, I'll fill you. I'll equip you. I'll empower you. In fact, the, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells them to, to wait for the Holy Spirit, that he would empower them to be his witnesses. In John chapter 16, Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, says, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He goes, he is going to empower you. And when he equips you, empowers you, and works through you, it will honor and glorify me. He goes, I want to. Sometimes we think that God is, like there's only so much and that he's only going to help somebody and we don't want to like use it up. But God's like, no, no, no. I want to pour myself out through you. I want to equip you and fill you. If you think, oh, I don't know that I have what it takes, he goes, put your trust in me. I want to fill you. We have a role. We have a job to do. 
and now is the time. And if you're not enough, that's okay. Because God is enough. And he wants to fill us, equip us, empower us. He loves people and he's waiting. As I get ready to close tonight, I want to commission you with Jesus commissioning. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So I want to challenge you to go and to make disciples. To go to be his witnesses in words and in actions. And he told them Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other, uttermost parts of the earth. Um, but you're not in Jerusalem. So, so go and be his witnesses at home, in your family, at your workplace, your neighborhood, your grocery store, sporting games, schools. Everywhere that you go, God said, will you carry my presence? Will you show them my love? Will you just share what God's done? There's so much power in just sharing, going, you know what? Do you know what God did? You know what? This is where I was broken and God set me free. This is where he healed me. This is where he restored my relationship. And as, as, as I look at this, Jesus prayed this. He told his disciples, he said, pray this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are for you. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest. We have the opportunity to be the answer to that prayer. And I invite you to be part of it. But if you're here and I he you hear about the love of God that was poured out, this God who's been waiting for thousands of years to return because he's waiting, because he, he loves somebody who's not ready yet. And you go, that's me. As, 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 as I commission everybody, I also want to invite everybody that if you're here and you don't know my Jesus, I want to invite you into a relationship with him. He says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. If you're here and you say, today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You can, can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If that's you, and you say, today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, get ready. You can know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, and on your way to heaven. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hands. That's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God, and on my way to heaven. Awesome. If you're online, you can just click it in the, in the chat there. You can put, um, yes, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And we're going to say a simple prayer. The Bible says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to call on his name. We're going to declare who he is and thank him for what he's done. So just go ahead. If you've done this before, join me. If this is the first time, we're going to declare him to be our Lord. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Even when I make mistakes, 
I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.